though I was full of fear, I knew I had to do it anyway. I pushed past that point and that was the gift that always returns to my mind anytime that I have fear. Like, listen, push past the fear. It's only there to remind you that there's something important happening on the other side. This is Before It's Too Late. I'm your host, Christian Susaum. Let's learn together what matters most in life. It makes me so proud to speak in this last episode of the year with Hollywood's emotional fixer, Shinoa Maxwell. Shinoa is a successful actress, a photographer artist, and an emotional and soul intelligence expert. In this heartfelt conversation, she's sharing with us how she moved out from a very tumultuous, abusive childhood with lots of emotional pain into a life that has no limits for joy, love, and success. She's talking about the most pivotal moment in her life. As a young girl with no guidance and no support, she tried to kill herself. And how she then managed to consistently change her mind, her actions, and the vision she had for her future. You will hear how Shinoa is working with her clients, who are some of the world's top entertainers, executives, and influential millennials, on dissolving limiting beliefs, manage their emotions, create new pathways of thinking, and thrive in every pocket of their lives. In our conversation, I'm also asking her what to do when your mind is stuck and we can't get to the tears that sometimes want to be released. Also, Shinoa is sharing with us her wisdoms around how to pass beyond fear and how to find the courage to show up in certain moments. She's telling her story how she, despite of warnings from her friend, followed her gut instinct and introduced herself to Denzel Washington at a casting for the film Malcolm X and what followed this bold move. The gift that always returns to my mind any time that I have fear is, listen, push past the fear. It's only there to remind you that there's something important happening on the other side, she says. Please enjoy this enlightening conversation with Shanoa Maxwell on Before It's Too Late. Hello, Shanoa. Welcome to Before It's Too Late. Hello, and thank you so much for having me here. It's such an honor. It's rather an honor for me, Shanoa, very much so. We met at the Milken Conference back in October this year, and I had the honor to attend one of your wonderful emotional awakenings <laughs> or wake up practices as a group and yes. I'm so thrilled that I now have the chance to have you as my guest and share my wonderful experience with you with my listeners. But before we get into this Shanoa, I would really like to know how do you feel now at the end of this year 2021? Oh, well, that is a wonderful introductory question. And for everyone listening, thank you for joining us here. It's just an honor to share time and space, which is the greatest gift of all. At the end of 
2021, how do I feel? I feel tired. <laughs> like most of you, I think I feel burnt out. I'm exhausted. I spend a lot of time speaking to people all over the world. I talk to leaders and um, a lot of people in Fortune 500 companies. I talk to celebrities. And I just find that the one thing that every single one is experiencing right now is the feeling of burnout. And the reason for this, obviously, we've gone through so much coming off of a global pandemic. And I say coming off of, we're actually very much still in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But coming off of it where most of us have been vaccinated and um, the world is opening back up, we didn't actually have an opportunity to land in the reality and the understanding of what we've all been experiencing for the last two years. We were at the place where the whole entire world shut down and people started dying in hundreds of thousands, the numbers being so great, our family members, our friends, someone that we knew that we were closely connected to, we started to go into a panic, a global panic, a global trauma. We were scared. Every single one of us, we were scared. We were frightened. We had no idea what was happening. We were so uncertain. We had that on top of political unrest, racial tension, and so many other happenings all over the world with the global warming, we are now experiencing grief at such high levels. And none of us have dealt with it. We've Mm -hmm. all had to shift out of our normalcy. So many of us had to work from home without any boundaries. And that is taxing on our souls. And so right now, everyone is really kind of at a loss for why do I feel so tired? And that's because we haven't had an opportunity to reboot, reset, reset our minds, reset our spirits, catch up to all of the things that we were basically just surviving from. And so our nervous system is shot. We've gone Mm. through so much and we were so unaware of it because we're taught to just keep going, right? There's so many other responsibilities out there in the world that are more important than us. And that is the fallacy. That is the fallacy. We are the most important beings, things. We come first. Once we are able to stop, nourish our minds, our souls, our spirits with any guilt, we become more evolved and we become more able to reach our bottom line goals, our desires, our purpose with ease and flow, which is how we're made. That's how we're made to be. That's how we're divinely built. But we'll talk about all that later. Yes. Oh my God, that is so true. So true, Shanoa. You are really a true born healer and you are this amazing, successful actress. Then you are an artist photographer. And then at some point you have chosen to become Hollywood's emotional fixer. <laughs> That's how you have become known. And you call yourself an emotional and soul intelligence expert. And I've experienced a little bit of what you bring 
to the people in terms of healing. And I would love you to tell us more about what that is, what you're doing and how you're doing it. Thank you for that. So beautifully stated and said, you know, before I even share what I do, I'd love to tell you about how I got an opportunity to move into this healing space and to recognize my gifts and my talents, because I think it's really important for people to understand the journey. When we talk about healing, it's always a journey. Yes. And when we talk about success, it's always a journey. Every single thing in life, if we're gifted with, again, time, it's all about the journey, right? Mm. And that's really the most important part of it. So I started off having a very tumultuous, abusive childhood, was in a lot of emotional pain. My mother left my brothers and I when we were very young. And when my father got remarried, he married a woman who was extremely abusive, physically abusive and emotionally abusive. And we bounced around from home to home. And I bounced around from home to home. My brothers were actually with my father. And we just, I was just in a lot of circumstances that are really, really painful for a child, whether it's molestation and, you know, like I said, physical and verbal abuse. And so by the time I was 15 years old, I just had no concept or idea of why the universe, God created me. I, mm. I was so confused with why I was born. I didn't understand, like, why would you have a child be born to parents who didn't love them, who didn't mm. care for them? I had no care of nobody to care for me. I had nobody to really educate me, honor me, support me, love on me. So I was very sad. I was in a state of despair and I tried to attempt to take my life. I took a gazillion pills. My mom was always taking some kind of pill because she was a hypochondriac and she was very suicidal all the time and always on some kind of something. I think she was very undiagnosed bipolar. And, um, I took a bunch of pills with alcohol and all I know is that I woke up the next day in the hospital after they had pumped my stomach with, you know, to save my life. Had no recollection of really what happened after that. I just was in the hospital. And when I was in the hospital, my mother came in and she was like, I wish you would have died. I wish you would have died. And it was another oh. painful attack on how hard my life was. How old were you then, Janelle? I was going on, I was either 15 or going to be 15, right around that time. Yeah, I was in my sophomore year. Yeah, it was very, it was very painful, a lot of the things. My mother was an interesting person because she, as dynamic as she was, she was beautiful. She was sexy. She was dynamic. She had incredible taste. She listened to, from classical music all the way down to jazz, to rock, to soul. She was so eclectic. She was very talented at first glance, you would be charmed by her. She was incredible. But behind closed doors, she had these moments where she would just deteriorate into a really broken person and take that brokenness out on me. It was really mm -hmm. challenging and hard. So I grew up having to really nurture and take care of her most of my life and my brothers. But that being said, as tragic as it seems, and this is something that I always talk to my clients about because tragic beginnings can have often tragic, magical endings. And mine did, you know, and that's if you work it, right? So when I ended up in this hospital, at the time I lived in Berkeley, California, and this will show my age, but and at the time, if you ever try to kill yourself as a minor, 
the state takes custody of you. And instead of them giving you back to your parents or putting you back into your home, they have to do an investigation and they investigate all things. They investigate your home life, your environment, but they also do a lot of psychological tests because they have to determine if you're sick, if you're mentally ill, if you have any kind of complications as far as your mentality, where it's making you act that way. Once they started to do all the tests, they realized that I had a very high IQ and that the only thing that was in the way of me and my feelings and this suicidal feeling was the fact that I had a very bad home life. So they were making me go through the process of um, foster care. So I had to be put into a psychiatric unit to get the healing that I needed first and foremost, mm-hmm. get therapy, get trained. And then they would start, as they were doing all of these tests, start going through the process of foster care. So. For two and a half months, I was in a psychiatric ward for children in Herrick Hospital. And it was really devastating because obviously you can imagine being a child and being clanked up. It's like kind of like a prison. You're stripped down to nothing. There's no one there. You're removed from everything. There's no mirrors on the walls. You're in an iron bed. You're in just a nightgown and a robe. And you're literally re- removed from everything in your life for two months with a range of you know, children who were cutters or, you know, super depressed who were always kind of trying to kill themselves or who were actually mentally unwell. And so it was really traumatic at that moment. But the blessing of that was that because they knew that I was a very high IQ child and that there was nothing really wrong with me, they put me in right under the head, the director of the program. And her name was Dr. Eleanor Luce. Dr. Eleanor Luce took me under her care and made me like her own daughter, if you will. Mm-hmm. Instead of her treating me like a patient, she treated me like a men- like she mentored me and she gave me all of her tools and she said, you know, Shinoa, if you want to change your life, I can show you how. But if you want to die, you will find a way to succeed. No one can take that away from you. And I chose the path of wanting to change my life. So she taught me all of these tools on how to rewire my brain, rewire my brain, which allows me to rewire my life. And by doing that, you have to do a lot of mental practices so that you can stop those negative narratives that keep forming up in your life and in your head. So say, for instance, a lot of women happen to say, oh my God, I hate my stomach or I hate my bra fat or whatever it is that they hate about their bodies. I hate my thighs. That's just one form of self-hate that you're constantly doing and creating a narrative about yourself day in, day out that makes you feel not worthy enough. And it's a small thing, but imagine how many negative stories you're constantly telling yourself that create energetic vibrations that you send out like transmitters into the world. And then you end up receiving that same story back to you because the universe only wants to make you right. The universe is always in your favor. It's always acting in your best interest. So it wants to mirror back everything that you think, everything that you desire. So Dr. Eleanor Luce started to teach me all of these ways, neuroplasticity, ways of rewiring your mind, meditation. She gave me tons of books to read, 
how to do somatic exercises for my body to really get some of the grief and the pain out of my body. We did a lot of talk therapy. I did a lot of journal writing. And all of these things really helped me stop those negative stories, which were, at the time, no one loves me. No one's there for me. My mother doesn't like me. I'm abused. I've been abandoned. All of the stories that would set me up for really a limited mindset and a limited life. But instead, I started to rewire that and have a limit less mindset and a limit less life. Instead of focusing on my pain, I focused on the blessings. What are the blessings that I have today? Oh my God, today I woke up alive. Today I woke up with breath being automatic. Today I woke up with eyes that have great eyesight to see. Today I have beautiful skin that glows. Those are simple things that we take for granted every day. But when we refocus on the things that we have, all of a sudden, some of the negativity immediately starts to fall away because it's no longer in our sight. It's no longer in our purview. And so that's what I did from the time I was 15 till today. And I'm 51 today. And I'll tell you that by doing that every single day, most people who meet me think that I'm on a drug because and I'm not on any drugs. The only drug I'm on is on the thyroid medicine, but the only, that's it. I'm not on any drugs, but I'm so connected deeply to joy. Joy is my best friend. It's in my back pocket every single day of my life because I've wired my brain to have that focus since I was a child. And you can do it. By the time I was 21, I had already changed my life. That's five years. I moved out at 17 years old. I've been on my own since I was 17 years old. So from the time I tried to commit suicide at 15, for two years, two years later, I had created a strategic plan to move me outside of my toxic environment. I found a job. I had created so many things that young entrepreneurs do today, which is a network of support, a strategic plan, a really incredibly focused brain, a job. I had a pathway. And I had a vision for what I wanted my life to look like. And that vision took me to one place, to the next place, to the next place, all of them more positive and more positive after the years until I became my ultimate goal, which was a Hollywood leading lady. And you say that that's a career. That's what is the percentage of that? Most people go, I can never do that. But it took myself, a young girl who had no guidance, who had no support, who had tried to kill herself, who was full of despair, was full of abuse, full of all of those negative stories. And I just sat and I changed my mind and I changed my actions because my mind had changed. And then I changed the vision for my life because my mind had no more limits. And then I became everything that I wanted. And Hollywood mm-hmm. leading lady is a, is a title that's really prestigious, right? It's great. I've been in movies and I've had the, you know, I've had access to the best of the best, But what's really more important is that I had joy attached to those moments. I had joy and I had love attached to those moments. Sometimes, this is what I deal with now with celebrities, you have all of the things that you've ever asked for. I deal with all of these leaders at the top levels, and they're still not happy because they don't have joy and love and freedom of mind attached to to that success level. Yes. Oh, my God. Shinoa, thank you so much for sharing all that and that wonderful narrative and that intensity. And, you know, when I'm listening to you, 
first I got tears in my eyes and then they turned into goosebumps and then <laughs> it totally turned into this wonderful energy of gratitude and and also the hope that I can do that too. And you can. We're connected uh, now. So anytime you need that, I'm here to support you. I think that's relatable to all those who had an abusive childhood, including myself, that we always keep trying, you know, and we know what to do. We know what it needs to do, which is to change our thought, as you just said. However, how do you deal with like backlashes, like when there are days where you just don't manage to overcome negative thoughts? Well, how you must have had an extremely strong willpower when you were 15. <laughs> so yeah. tell us a little bit more about that and also maybe how you train your clients, all of us who want to really experience that limitless joy and energy you have achieved for yourself, which is amazing. Yes, it is actually accessible for everyone. And the key, though, is consistency. And I'm always going to say that first and foremost, because I think one of the biggest challenges that we have as a society, as a society and as a culture is that we want everything now. We want to move mm -hmm. out of our pain today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we want to get rich quick and fast and have everything work right away. I want everything instant. I don't want to do the work. I want muscles by going to the gym after one month. Like it's just, that's just not how it happens. But I love that you asked me that question because I think that that's the pain point that a lot of us really want to know. Like, how do I move past this? I'm really full of grief and I'm really full of anxiety. I'm really full of anger and I'm just mad. I'm full of sorrow. And actually, I want to feel that way today. And, and when you have those days, those are the days to feel it. You don't really have to move through to the next journey of joy when you still have more to process. And I mm -hmm. think that's one of the things that I actually work with with my clients. Okay, I know that you want to feel better attract love, be successful, stop feeling this way. But where are you not expressing this anger, sorrow, grief? Sometimes you have to drop to your knees and let it all out. And you have to do that for days upon days upon days. And you have to pound your fist into a pillow. And you have to just release the trauma and the pain that's stored in your body. And if you can't get to the tears, then start moving your body, whether it's massage or somatic dancing, move your body, moving your body with breath brings up pain if you have it stuck. Sometimes we need to feel. We're constantly trying to numb ourselves and push ourselves past pain points. We have so much to do. We have to be on. I can't look puffy. Pain is for suckers. I was taught that this is weak. No, you have to feel. Feeling, when you are repressing your emotions that long and ache to be expressed, that creates depression, that creates blocks, that creates anxiety, that creates fear, that creates anger, that re creates resistance in flow. 
those moments that you're actually, your body is hardwired to feel that feeling, feel it. And if you find yourself stuck in a negative space and you're spinning and you're like, wait a second, I know that I'm in a spinning space and I'm stuck on the story. You can write it out. You can journal it out because you have to release it somehow so that you can make room for that new story. Oh my God, I love that, Chinoa. Since this is exactly my favorite topic about that we have to process these unwanted emotions. And this is so difficult because we live in this death and grief denying society, as you said, right? Tell us a little bit more about when you say you have to involve your body. You cannot come to alignment with yourself if you don't involve the body. That's right. The mind and the body are inextricably intertwined. And you have your three brain states. A lot of times we're always thinking of intelligence and through the mind, right? Oh, I have to think about things. But there's a soul intelligence that is in your gut. And there's a heart intelligence. That's that love space that you know vibrates on the most powerful frequency of the world, which gives you your truth. So when all three of those are aligned, and you think about it, phrases like, my gut reaction was to tell him or her to get lost, or I felt heartbroken when I heard the news, or I couldn't stomach those lies when she was telling me. They all point to a location of our emotions that are deep inside of our body. And so if you take a moment to really sense into your body where your feeling lives, where that intelligence, where that gut instinct lives, how it feels at that point. And you tune into your body more closely, which you may find it helpful to like close your eyes. And that's one of the exercises that I always lead people into. Just close your eyes for a few minutes. Close your eyes right now. When you close your eyes, you automatically are drawn into yourself, into that cosmic intelligence that lives deep within every single one of our bodies. And then you start to tune into your breath, which is in the natural rhythm and flow of life. And you start to connect to yourself, to your heart space, to the truth of who you are, taking as much time as you need, and then asking into your body, where does my grief or sadness live? How does this feel within me? How do I feel about this project or this person or this move? You don't even need to find words to describe what you're feeling. Just feel what you're feeling. Sense into your body, starting at your head and then moving down through your torso as you're breathing in and out, including all of your muscles and even your heart, your lungs and your guts, continuously just staying on the inside of you in that heart space. And just taking a moment to discover the other ways that your body communicates to you the ways that the universe communicates to you. Your body is your largest organ. It is your largest communication source. It is constantly always speaking to you. 
That's why the moment that you eat something wrong, your, your stomach hurts, you get gassy, you get bloated. There's stress. You start sweating and panicking. Your heart rate goes quicker. Sometimes even when we're stressed out, our hair falls out. Our body is our biggest communicator. It's always speaking to us. And if we just take a moment every single day to listen, it will direct us. It will direct us to our purpose. It will direct us to our truth. It will direct us to our pain. It will direct us to our health, our well-being. And if you want to take it a step further, you can even, after you finish that, just write what you feel in your journal. Write what you've discovered in your journal. It's very, very helpful, very healing, very powerful. So we only have to have the courage to deeply listen into our bodies, right? That's right. And, you know, when I'm listening to you, Shanoa, you come across as a healing being completely fearless. And I would really love to talk with you a little bit about the anxiety and the fear that many people feel around their trauma and their inner pain because we had experiences that showing up for whom you really are and as you say showing up as a being within your own truth right can be very dangerous and i would love you to share more about how you because i know there was also a pivotal moment in your life when you dared to show up for whom you really are and overcame this fear would you tell us about this yes i think that that's a wonderful question because anxiety is something that we are all this society battles with at such a high level so if you're out there listening and you're dealing with anxiety, there's so many ways that you can stop and calm anxiety quickly and move through that. And if those ways don't help you at first glance, then talking through it with someone, a professional like myself or someone really helps. And, and anxiety starts when you're really feeling overwhelmed with how unsafe you feel. When you're scared, you're out of control, and your mind is racing to uncertainties or future catastrophes or the what ifs, the fear just starts to take over. And so, you know, when I work with my clients, one of the main things that we start off doing is unwinding the narratives that keep us limited or stuck or full of anxiety and fear or full of lack of worth, lack of anything that we desire by deeply grounding ourselves. Because when I was younger, and I started to have these feelings of anxiety, the thing that started to help me the most was learning pathways into how I can trust to grow my trust greater. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to do. We have to counter the fear by growing trust. And so you have to find anchor points in your life of things that you trust. You trust the earth that's beneath you, that's Mother Earth, that's energetic. It's always right there for you to plant your feet in it, plant your feet in some soil, in some grass, 
and feel the support underneath you. If you're meditating, really feel the ground, the earth pillow underneath your bottom. Look in the mirror every single day and talk to yourself with loving exchange, looking deeply into your eyes and talking to yourself and saying, you know what, self, I'm there for you. I love you. Coaching yourself, becoming your own best advocate through mirror work is very impactful. It leaves an indelible print in the mind because the mind has no idea that you're actually talking to it. You can have all kinds of conversations with yourself and you can, your mind may think it's your mother or your father. <laughs> it has no distinction. It can't determine who it is talking to. It just needs to hear it. That's why it's so important for you to become your own best advocate, your own best cheerleader. It's not crazy when you talk to yourself. It's actually sane when you know yep. that you're consciously doing it. And then having a faith factor, meaning if you're not someone who believes in God or Buddha or Jehovah or universal source spirit or the creator, believe in some kind of mysterious force. There's something happening beyond our understanding that makes the plants grow and the trees grow and the oxygen and the sunrise and the sunset and the moon come out. There's something out there that connects us all. And it's powerful and it's big. And it does it every day that it creates such resilience in the earth. Find a way to grow your faith because you have to find anchor points in order to stop anxiety points from happening so that you can trust yourself and trust your instincts and trust that if I can't trust me today, I know I can trust source today. And that's, again, when they say connect to your breath, that breath slows you down just enough where you can get present to that miracle moment in your life. We can listen to the stillness of your heart, that cosmic intelligence that will just direct you if you just allow it to. That's how you start to work through your anxiety. What a wonderful, powerful guidance of yours, Shanoa. This is so powerful and so truthful and absolutely great. Shanoa, would you mind to tell us about a moment when you overcame your fear? Since you are such a great role model for me, <laughs> I loved when you shared that story with us in LA. Could you tell that again to the listeners here? When, oh when my this, goodness. This is such a wonderful story. <laughs> I loved that story because that just shows that you are only a human being too, who has yes. moments when you overcome your fear. Yeah, I've had a lot of moments where I've had to overcome fear. And I'll tell you, you never can become a leading lady in Hollywood or a recognized, globally recognized photographer, even speaking to millions of leaders in front of a Milken stage. You, you just can't reach your levels of limitless power and success unless you really find ways to overcome that. I think the story that you're referring to most is when I, this is at the start of when I realized I wanted to be an actress. At the time, I was working in a mall as a makeup artist in Garden City, New York. And I would tell every single person that would listen to me, 
how much I wanted to be a star at this moment. I had been given that divine purpose. I knew for a shadow of a doubt that this was my journey and I wanted to be this star. I could see myself on billboards, but I had no idea how to do it. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I'm just this, basically this orphan girl who's working in a mall and I don't know what to do. The only thing I could do was tell people. And one day while I was at work at the counter, my girlfriend, who was a coworker of mine, she was on her way somewhere and she was listening to the radio and she overheard them saying, Spike Lee is casting for his film for Malcolm X. And they're doing an open casting right now, today, between whatever hour and whatever hour. So she calls me on the phone and now I'm at work behind the counter. And she says, oh my God, Chinoa, you have to go. You want to be an actress. This is your chance. Spike Lee is doing an open casting call and you got to go. And so she says, if you can find a way to get off of work, I will pick you up in the parking lot in an hour or whatever the time was. And so I said, okay. And I immediately started crying. And she had no idea what was going on on her end because I saw my manager walking across the room, you know, getting ready to tell me, hey, get off the phone and start working again. So I immediately started bawling. Ah! And my girlfriend was like, are you okay? Oh my God. And I was like, yes, yes. Okay. Okay. I'll see you. And so she was like, okay, I'll pick you up. And my manager comes over and she says, what's wrong? And I just, I'm crying. And I'm like, I have an emergency. I have to go. And she's like, okay, uh, well, just let me know. And she's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I can't talk. I have to go because I didn't want to keep the lie going. You know, I leave. My girlfriend picks me up in the parking lot. We go to the city. We're at the casting. When we arrive to the casting, the line is wrapped around the corner. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But for some reason, I've always been a bold soul. I walk straight up to the front of the line. We get in and we're casted as Malcolm X's extras. It was really just extras at the time. We didn't know any difference, but we're like, yay, we're in. Oh my God. They take us straight into wardrobe. It was so exciting. It was like, you know, this is the kind of bold moves you do, you know, when you're really full of passion with something, you know, you don't see no's in front of you, you just see green lights, green lights, green lights. And so I'm like, yay. So we're in the room, we're getting dressed, we're getting our wardrobe. And as we're getting our wardrobe, they're, te- they're setting us up for the scene. There's like hundreds of thousands of people because we're the, it's a big, huge scene where we're in this stadium and Malcolm X comes to the stage and he's doing a, a, a talk. And at the end of the talk, we're supposed to stand up and kneel down and stand up. And then when he walks through the aisle, we're just supposed to, you know, clap and don't, no one is supposed to move from their chairs. Everyone is supposed to be glued to their positions. No one get up, just chair, you know, clap your hands and let him walk through the aisle. But of course, me wanting to be a star, I was like, as soon as Malcolm X was being played by Denzel Washington, I was like, as soon as Denzel Washington walks through the aisle, I'm going to introduce myself. And my girlfriend's <laughs> like, Shanoa, you cannot do that. You're going to get us kicked out. This is not what you're going to do. And she starts telling me and I'm like, okay, okay, Michelle, I'll be cool. I won't do anything. I'll just do what I'm supposed to do. But the scene started. Malcolm X played by Denzel Washington. He says his speech 
and he gets ready to walk through the aisle and he starts walking through the aisle and he gets to my aisle and I run out in front of him and I go, hello, Mr. Denzel Washington. Hi. I put my hand out to meet him and I said, my name is Shanoa Maxwell. I just wanted to meet you. I think that you're amazing. And as soon as I said that all his bodyguards came and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get kicked out. And the director yelled, cut. And everyone was so chaotic. Everyone was so mad that I did that. And they escorted me back to my seat because they were like, don't do that again. You cannot do that again. But before they did that, Denzel Washington was like, well, hello, Shanoa. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Oh, I love that name. And I was like, ah, I met Denzel Washington. He knows my name. <laughs> and basically, I ended up, that was it. They, they had to reset the scene because of continuity. They couldn't kick us out. They had to do the scene over again. And when the scene was over, the casting agents called me and, and I went over and I was like, oh God, Michelle, I'll meet you in the lobby. They're going to kick me out. But instead of them kicking me out, they bumped me up to a higher level extra where I got to have like a goodie bag and I think like a line and all of these things because Denzel Washington was actually really, he liked that I did that. It was a bold move. And I got noticed out of a sea of a hundred extras, hundreds, it was hundreds of extras. I'm the one that got noticed. And so that's just a testimony to moving out of your own boldness when you know that there's something for you, that this is part of your purpose, where you have a gut instinct that no matter who tells you what it's not supposed to be like. My girlfriend was so scared and she was creating so much anxiety for me in that space. But even though I was full of fear, I knew I had to do it anyway. I pushed past that point. And that was the gift that always returns to my mind anytime that I have fear. Like, listen, push past the fear. It's only there to remind you that there's something important happening on the other side. There's something important happening that's saying, pay attention. And it doesn't mean pay attention to the thing that leaves you there. It means pay attention to what's possible. Pay attention to when you push past it, what's on the other side. Pay attention that you're having self-awareness, that you're doing it right, that you're paying attention to life, that you're paying attention to your dreams, that you're paying attention to your body, to your gut, to your instinct. That's what fear represents. So push past it. Listen to it. It's there to honor something. Oh my God, Janoa, I love you sharing this story. Thank you so much. It's so <laughs> amazing because I also love how you uh, were talking about the emergency, which it was, <laughs> um, <laughs> at least to your supervisor. And, you know, that it was all worth it doing that and passing beyond all these um, outer constraints. I just really love that. And that is so motivating because I think we all have almost every day, actually, these moments where our fear is stopping us from something. And also what I love about this story is, and all your work, by the way, is because it really helps to live a meaningful life in the moment, in the yes. here and now, before yes. it's too late. And once we're lying on our deathbeds, it really helps to diminish 
regrets because had you not jumped out um, of your seat and had you listened to your friend, you probably would have said, well, had I only done that. Forever, forever and ever. Forever. That's forever exactly right. How many of you out there are sitting there thinking about when the right day, the perfect time will be? There's never a right day or a perfect time. The time is always now. There's always going to be a cost and a consequence to your decisions. But you don't want to have that consequence be the one that says, I wish I would have. Right? You want to be the cost and the consequence to say, I did this, and now I might have gotten fired from this, but now I became a star. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love that story, Janot. Is there anything else you want to add today in our wonderful, wonderful conversation? Well, I, you know, we are approaching a very different time and space in life with the Great Conjunction, which is a very different energetic force that changed last year in December. It means that the Earth's consciousness has elevated. And that means that your consciousness is ready to elevate because it has support. We have to do a better job being better to ourselves so we can be better to each other. It's really important for our planet to take a different shape and form where we are more compassionate, compassionate of self, compassionate of spirit, and compassionate for one another. We're all real one working, breathing membrane. Like, you're no different from me and I'm no different from you. Everything is the same. I breathe the same air that you breathe and we have some of the same concerns. And it's really this year, this coming year, 2022, is less about the I and more about the we. So let's start with the I, right? Start with I must do better. I must give myself more compassion. I must give my time, myself more time to reboot. I must move out of fear and into possibility. I must start to move into how I can do better so we can do better. Ah, Shanoa, I cannot think of any more wonderful and meaningful Christmas gift to the listeners because this episode will be on show on December 24. Oh, wow, that's so great. <laughs> and yeah, and for those who don't celebrate Christmas, I think it's just as wonderful as a gift for each and everybody. So thank you so much, Shinoa. I've been inhaling what you said and um, we'll go back to work on my mind <laughs> <laughs> on a more consistent basis. <laughs> and whenever I need your help or somebody of the listeners, I'll put your website on in the description. You can also find me on Instagram. I find that Instagram has been such a wonderful way to connect. My name is Shanoa, C-H-E-N-O-A, Maxwell, M-A-X-W-E-L-L. -L. And so it's at Shanoa Maxwell on Instagram. And feel free to send me a DM or a message, heart my informative posts and let me know where you're at so I can find ways to be more supportive for you. Shanoa, keep bringing the healing into the world that you are bringing on for each and everybody of us. And Be safe, be well, and be loving to yourself. 
Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. And you're such a wonderful soul. And I'm so grateful that we were connected at Milken and that we will continue supporting one another. Let me know how I can be of service to you anytime, anywhere. Definitely, I will. All right, take care. I really enjoyed this profound conversation and I hope you did too. For more episodes of Before It's Too Late, make sure to subscribe. If this episode spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or loved one you think might benefit from it. Thank you for listening.